Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome, welcome. Come on in. Get your favorite beverage. Sit in a comfy chair. And we're going to talk about a few things today. We've had a whirlwind of exciting, phenomenal guests. And I thought I'd take some time to do a solo episode today just to kind of catch you up on things going on here and help us maybe reflect on some of the guests that we've had, some takeaways. And then I'm going to go into a little bit about what is it like to be in a small group like Mending the Soul. So I'm specifically going to talk about Mending the Soul because that's what I'm familiar with. But I'm sure that a lot of these things will apply to any small group that is similar that you would join. Stephen Tracy was our guest last week. (laughs) He's such a great guy. And I hope that you agree with me on that. He is so down to earth. And what I liked most about his talk was he said this, I will crawl on my hands and knees to help somebody. And he means that. If you haven't heard the episode, you need to go back and listen to it. It's the previous episode. I mean, he talked about how he went into places like the Congo and I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say that. That is no joke. But God is using him to help people heal from really horrible abuse. This stuff works. Curriculums that they are creating, it works. And that's why he's so passionate. That's why he gets up in the morning. That's why he, um, he does this. And he's had a really rough year. He didn't get into that. He's had some real struggles and trials this year, just like everybody else. What's been going on here? Well, since nobody said anything bad about my birds, I will give you an update of my little birdie friends. Now, last time we talked about it, I just was throwing bird seed on the ground outside, and I was getting a lot of little birdie visitors, some really great varieties of birds that I never noticed before. And I bought two hummingbird feeders, and I was getting a lot of hummingbirds, which I still do. Not as much because it's winter, but I think that the two that I used to see at my feeder all the time were I called Daredevil and Skid. And Daredevil was really friendly and Skid was like skittish. That's why I called him Skid. And I had gotten Daredevil to drink right out of the feeder while I was holding it. We um, We didn't get video of that, but I'm glad to say that We've, we've got a bunch of new hummingbirds, and I know this because they have different markings. The one um, that's been coming to the yard that I notice a lot is called a ruby-throated hummingbird, and he's got a red throat, of course. I think my husband named him Mark, so he's really beautiful. And then there's this purple one that's been coming by, and he's really friendly. And I went and refilled the feeder, and 
put the sugar water in there and I told my husband, I said, well, go get the camera. I'm going to try and see if, if the um, hummingbirds will come and feed while I'm holding, while I'm holding it. So he was in the kitchen with the camera. We have a big picture window and I went out there with the feeder and I walked right under where I usually hang it. And all I did was I, I was holding it up and I just called out and I looked down the, the tree in the yard because that's where they, they perch this big mesquite tree that's in my neighbor's yard. And they come get some sugar, come get it. I know it's silly, but, <laughs> and I could see one sitting right on the tree. So I'm like moving the feeder around and it's so funny. And I turned around to see if my husband was behind me with the camera, he wasn't. And then I looked down because I, they have a very distinct hum. And all I could hear was the hum. And I looked down and there he was, <laughs> the one with the purple. He was so beautiful, so very beautiful. And I yelled at my husband, get in here with the camera, quick, he's here. So the back door is a sliding glass door and he came kind of trepidating out with the with his camera. And in my back's toward him and he told me, you need to turn around so I could get a picture of you guys. I said, well, I don't want to move because I don't want to scare him off. So he kind of had to move himself around the barbecuer and we did get video of it, so I'm going to try and um, post that on my YouTube channel. And you can see my other YouTube channel where I, I make a, a recipe of uh, fettuccine. I make a recipe and you'll see a little tour of my garden, if that interests you. Anyway, I was just so thrilled to get that video of, of the hummingbird. I haven't named the purple one yet. But we've been getting some new birds. And the problem was there was a ton of the doves were taking over my yard because they are ground feeders. And so I told Brian, I want to go get some, you know, some feeders, put the seed in the feeders. So when we bought like three feeders, we get big birds like woodpeckers, beautiful, beautiful woodpeckers. The doves are pretty fat. <laughs> we got some fat birds. And with the, the grocery store scare and the pandemic and all, we were making jokes about, well, if we we were stuck here in our house and couldn't go out. We would be trapping those doves because they were pretty fat and meaty. They're eating all the seed. So we bought a couple cages where the, the little birds can get in, but the, the bigger, the doves can't get in there. But the baby doves can. And it's hilarious because we found out that the little baby doves, they couldn't figure out how to get out of the cage. The little platform feeder and lift up the cage very gently and they fly away. But every day there's one of them in there that gets stuck. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, maybe they'll learn. Nut thatches, we get these big black birds. They're called grackles. And I only get one grackle that comes into my yard. He's pretty cool. I have two curved bill thrashers. They're a pair. I call them Fred and Ginger. <laughs> they all come to pairs in my yard. It's really crazy. There must be a nest, nest around. And, um, Two nut thatches, because there were two of them, they, the nut thatches, they have these white, I guess you call them mask around their eyes. They're real pretty. The towhees are really shy. They're like my favorite. They're so shy when the other birds are around. That was one of the reasons why I'm trying to come up with all these, a system here that everybody will get a chance to get some food. So it used to be the, the towhees were in my yard like all the time. And now they, they only come like really early in the morning or really like right before sundown because they're, they're afraid of the other birds. They don't like competing the other birds. 
So I see them once in a while. I don't see them a lot. If I see them in the yard, I'll go out there and I'll throw some extra seed out there that they like because um, probably all the seed was eaten up by the other birds. I have some worms, dried, the freeze-dried worms that the the big birds like, like the mockingbirds. We have a couple mockingbirds that are beautiful. They like to eat the worms. <laughs> so the other thing that's been happening is we have hawks here. <laughs> I saw this hawk that was on my Australian bottleneck. And so I had gotten a picture of it. And then it was sitting on my back wall because <laughs> the trees were gone. We had them taken down. Took a picture of them there. And then one day I'm like coming out of the house and I'm right under the porch. And it's about maybe a thousand feet from the porch to the back wall, my neighbor's wall and his mesquite tree. And that's where all the birds hang out. All of a sudden I see this I see the hawk because he's got a huge wingspan. You cannot miss miss it. I see the shadow of the hawk flying over the yard. And picture this. He dive bombs through this mesquite tree. He grabs a bird. And then he turns sideways. When he goes sideways and he turns a hard right into my eastern neighbor's yard. He perches on one of their palm trees. And I was like, what just happened here? Never seen anything like that. So the hawk is definitely going after the birds that are in my yard. I guess the hawk has to eat too. So the poor birds, they have the cats that are standing on the walls that I usually try and chase away if I see them. And then <laughs> they have the, this, um, this hawk that lives nearby that's feasting on them. So that's, you know, <laughs> National Geographic in my backyard. But, you know, it's it's free entertainment. I love looking out the back window of my kitchen and watching my birds. So anyway, I'll try and maybe make a video for you guys. It's also, as you can tell, it is very dry here. Arizona is very dry. So I've been having trouble with getting enough water. I mean, I drink water all day long. This is the size of my... What do you call these cups? Yeti cups. The size of my Yeti cups. I'm filling it three or four times a day. And my voice is still cracking. I just drank all my tea. A couple of the interviews that you heard, <laughs> you'll hear my voice cracking like Peter Brady. <laughs> Can't edit that out. <laughs> I'll update you on my health issues. Um, yeah, when I said that I wasn't going to be auditing or editing myself um, during these podcasts, I I've changed my strategy because I've, I've had some, <laughs> some really crazy outtakes. Um, I have a script and it just surprises me what comes out of my mouth. I cannot string sentences together. So that's my not so fun part of my memory loss. Um, so I've been editing a little bit more. Um, I rarely have to edit my guests. I mean, wouldn't you agree they've they just hit it out of the park every time. <laughs> I'm very, I mean, unless they cough or sneeze or something, I don't, I don't edit them at all. I sound kind of strange sometimes. <laughs> I probably, I probably sound very strange right now. So yeah, I'm trying to get enough water, keeping it real here. But I, um, I'm on doctor number eight with my memory loss, trying to figure out how to treat this. If it's something else, get a diagnosis. I don't know if it's getting worse or that I'm noticing that it's getting worse, but 
it causes me some anxiety. So I had, this is going on the third year now. Started in around December of 2018, I think. It's a long road doing without eggs. So that's just a decision I've made. I'm doing okay with everything else. I'm eating out of my garden. I, I eat beans. I eat delicious salads. The broccoli is huge. I need to do a new video. Um, we're harvesting our tomatoes. We've got We're just eating tomatoes like candy. They're these they're the size of golf balls and they're so sweet and delicious. So I'm going to make some tomato soup this weekend. Um, so the only time I've really eaten actual meat was Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, when the year is over, I may not totally stick to a meatless diet. Um, I may eat meat once in a while. Um, my husband has not been eating any red meat, but he's been eating chicken. But he's finally stabilized. He's finally getting medication infusions for his um, ulcerative colitis. Thank God he's out of pain and he's um, he's feeling pretty good. So we're very grateful for that. One thing I'll mention really quickly, we finally buried my brother and had his funeral service. I won't get into um, all that entailed. He had a military burial up at the VA cemetery here. Um, and it took 25 days to bury him and have closure. And it was really hard because it was Christmas. He died on the 5th of December and we didn't bury him until um, the Monday after Christmas. Of course, Christmas was really hard. This is the first person in my immediate family that I have that I have lost. And you go through that whole roller coaster of emotions. I know some of you have lost have lost people yourself, so you you can relate. So yeah, twenty twenty one is here, and hopefully, I'll we got somewhat of a new start. Hopefully, a lot of the really horrible stuff is behind us. You know, I won't get into the political climate because this is not a political podcast. But I will say that God is on the throne. And it's easy to get that anxiety of the craziness that's going on. But here's a here's here's some advice. Get off of Facebook, get off of Twitter, or at least reduce your um you may have to unfriend some people. You may have to turn off the news. Okay. This is for your own sanity, folks. It's for my sanity. I can't I can't I cannot deal with too much of that. My husband's a news junkie, he loves the news. Yeah, focus on the Lord. Doesn't seem like God's in control, but he's doing some things behind the scenes. We've, we're a tough country. We've survived some really bad things. So, um, and I'll say this again, pray, pray for those people in authority, even if you don't agree with them. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Be nice to your, to your fellow man. Um, give people the benefit of the doubt. So, Let's transition into what this podcast was supposed to be about, is the Mending the Soul group. So, Steve and Tracy gave us a wonderful overview of what Mending the Soul offers. And this is not a sales pitch. Um, I have a lot of different kinds of guests on the show because I want you to have choices in your healing. We're on a journey and not, not all the guests, maybe you might not relate to all of them, or you may not agree with some of them, 
or maybe what the products that they're offering or the, the solutions they're offering aren't for you. That's okay. We're going to keep searching for tools and techniques and different methods of healing. That is what my podcast is about. That's what my ministry is about. Again, there's a lot of room for um, different different groups that do the same thing that I do. So I hope that you see that. So I have my little my Meningosol workbook. This is what it, this is what it looks like. The textbook is behind me. If you're looking on YouTube, first thing that we do with a a participant that's interested in being in the group, we don't invite everybody in the group. This is not a a Bible study that you can come and go as you please. It is a serious commitment and not everybody's ready for that commitment. So we do what's called an intake process, um, a meet and greet interview. The meet and greet is to go over what I'm about to go over with you now, what it's like to be in a group, what are the rules, and then to find out a little bit about the participant and what kind of abuse they've been through. Why are they seeking to be in a group? And if they're able to commit to two 16 weeks that it entails. And so that's, that is the first step. My group is 16 weeks. Sometimes it goes longer if we go over. And I have my co-facilitator, Kelly. So there's two of us. And then we have maximum of four participants. And they could be anywhere in the world uh, because we use Zoom. And I have done groups in person at my church with my mentor, Connie. But since Brian is high risk, I try and reduce my exposure to people. So I've decided to, to keep doing the Zoom groups with all its challenges. As you all know, we're all experts on Zoom this year. Yeah, it's not my favorite platform because as you know, being able to read body language as well on a Zoom call. And so, so we have our participants that are interested and we have a meet and greet. So we get on Zoom, just like we're doing now, and they fill out a form. It has questions on the form. What is your, your background? How were you raised? They have other questions like what kind of abuse have you been through? Um, are you married? Um, have you gone through any counseling? Any other groups that you've been in? Um, and the other important part is, um, do you have any medical conditions? And some medical conditions, it wouldn't matter you know, to participate in a group like diabetes or, you know, heart disease, whatever. But some might affect your ability to function in a group setting. So like ADHD or you don't like people, you're introverted, that sometimes is a challenge. And we also ask if you have any mental illness, like um, you have depression, you have suicidal tendencies, you have bipolar. Um, are you being treated for these conditions? Those are very important. So we need to know that because we need to make sure that you are seeing a doctor who is prescribing medication for you, that you're being monitored for those conditions. And we need to make sure if you need counseling, like for substance abuse, that's another question we ask. Are you taking any drugs, like illegal drugs? addicted to pain pills, that kind of thing. We need to be able to refer you to a substance abuse counselor, you know, a mental health professional, because we make it very clear. And you heard during Dr. Tracy's 
show when he was on here. We are not counselors. We're not mental health experts. We are lay people. We are survivors who have been through what you've been through. We have been through training. We get continual training, but we are not um, a replacement for medical care. So that's one thing that we get out of the way first. And there's no shame in any of those things. We make sure, okay, if you need to go to AA because you have alcohol addiction, there's no shame in that. When you get you some help first and when you are stable and gone through um, those things, then you can come back and join a group. We want to focus on just the abuse part. We don't, since we're not professionals in that area, we don't want to have to worry about the mental health aspect of that if you are not being treated for that. So then we talk about a suicide agreement. That's something that we have to, we have to do. And we can't obviously prevent somebody from suicide. What I can do is tell you that we're there for you. You sign an agreement that, hey, um, if you have these suicidal tendencies that you are going to call somebody, you're going to call a mental health professional, you're going to call your counselor, you're going to call your a trusted friend, you're going to call the suicide hotline, you're going to call somebody. You know, I tell them, you can call me, I'm, I don't care if it's the middle of the night. It's just a way that you're not sitting there by yourself dealing with these thoughts that are running through your head. I've had somebody on suicide watch, so it has happened. She's fine now, but anyway, that's a very important part of the intake process. So we want you to feel safe. We want you to be able to come and share your story without any fears and that we have um, the resources to support you in that. So then we go over, hey, what's required in being in a group? Well, you have to be willing to tell your story from start to finish, the good, bad, the ugly. Now. We help prepare you for that. We don't just say, hey, you know, you're on your own. Um, we prepare you for that. We tell you, hey, I'll write it down. I don't recommend just going by the seat of your pants. Um, you know, thoughtfully write things down. Don't wait till the last minute. We each have a turn during the group that we're going to tell our story and the rest are going to listen. And we do this without judging or interrupting or trying to fix you. It is. That's what it is your story. And sometimes it's the first time that you've told your story to anybody. And it's scary. So um, Kelly and I, we go first and we tell our story. And that gives you the courage to tell your story. And yeah, I've gotten to a place where I can tell my story. And I've told it many times now. I can tell my story without my hands shaking, without that knot in my stomach, without my voice quivering and cracking, without crying. Um, it definitely still means something. It's just that I have worked through all of those emotions. I've worked through all of those events and all those things done to me that I can now look back and tell my story in a helpful way. Um, now, after we've told our story, then, you know, each person in the group has an opportunity to give some encouraging words or maybe, you know, something that encouraged them about your story or something that, um, you know, hey, I could see God worked in your life at this part. So it's always very encouraging, uplifting, empowering. It's not, there's never any shaming going on. And I think that's, um, that's the hard part about opening up and being vulnerable like that is you're afraid of what people are going to think of you. 
But that's what's so powerful about this group is that everybody's thinking the same thing. Everybody is scared. Everybody's thinking, oh, this person's going to judge me because, you know, you know, I went through this. And yes, it's, it's hard. It's hard to listen to these stories. Um, some of these stories keep me up at night. But then I get to, I get to see the progression of a change that happens progressing through this group. The next thing you have to agree to after all those things is, yeah, you have to commit to the 16 weeks. You have to commit to being on time. It's two hours a week. My group's on Wednesday from six to eight. And once the group starts, then nobody else is allowed in. And there's the confidentiality agreement. What happens in the group stays in the group, just like Vegas. <laughs> Probably better than Vegas, I hope. And so you have to agree not to share the details of somebody's story, not to share who's in the group. That's not allowed, even if, oh, because when we do this intake process, um, they don't know who's going to be in that group on the first day. I don't tell them. Um, my, my group started last week, my brand new group four precious ladies and one of them is my co-worker now she's not on my team at work she's on another team on the other side of the building and we're working remotely now but so she has to be comfortable enough to bear her soul in front of me but i have to keep that confidential i can't tell anybody at work that she's going through my group or what what she said in the group that's nobody wants that nobody wants their stuff posted on facebook or blabbed to the whole world so that's a very important part. We want everyone to feel safe and that they can share what they need to share without fear of somebody talking about them. So if they agree to that, it's pretty much no-brainer stuff. You know, don't interrupt. Be nice. Be respectful. There's sometimes um, people don't have any manners. They weren't raised with certain manners that maybe you and I would think would be standard. Um... So we have to kind of go over those things. You know, don't interrupt when somebody's talking. Um, don't tell somebody what to do. Oh, this is all about choices. I can't make the choices for you. You have to choose. Oh, and then another big thing is comparison. My story looks completely different than yours. Mine looks different than Kelly's. And mine looks different than my other four participants. That's okay. But... You know, at first, you want to compare yourself to somebody else. Oh, well, like for instance, my story, my, my abuser never hit me. He did all kinds of other abuse, but he never hit me. And so for many years, I thought, well, my abuse doesn't really count. I don't really belong here because he never hit me. We're not going to do that. All abuse is damaging. All abuse is horrible. And all abuse is valid. And whether you've been through sexual abuse emotional abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, physical abuse, beatings, financial abuse, all of those damage your soul. They last a long time and it's very hard to heal from them. The bruises go away, the black and blue marks, your broken bones, they heal. So that's a big part. Don't compare yourself. By the end of the group, you are all going to be very bonded to each other because of the nature of our group. It's different than a Bible study where you only show the best of yourself. And we let you cry. We let you yell and scream. We let you swear. 
Um, in the beginning, everybody's very, very posh and quiet. And it was like that last week with my group. They were all very quiet. And any, anybody have anything they want to share about this? And nobody's, <laughs> nobody wants to talk. <laughs> but at the end of the group, they're all like, they're all have no problem talking. And yeah, they, they bond. We bond very closely with our groups. And you become friends with the people. You may not have any other friends around that understand what you've gone through. Um, I didn't. Now I have, I have these friends that they know exactly what I've gone through. They, a lot of times you're in the group and you hear somebody else put into words what you went through, but you did not have a label for that. I didn't know what a narcissist was until I, I started mending the soul. I didn't know there was a name for what my abuser did. <laughs> All I know is, okay, he didn't hit me, but I know that what he was doing to me was wrong. And it was horrible. And so you'll come up with um, the labels for the abuse you've went through. I didn't know what gaslighting was. I experienced gaslighting. <laughs> Never knew what there was a label for that. Manipulation. I'm, I was pretty familiar with manipulation. But um, I definitely know how to recognize it better. We don't, me and Kelly, we don't sit there and... We don't do what a counselor does. A counselor pretty much sits there with a clinical viewpoint, and that's that's the that's the counselor's role. That is what they're there for. They're trained, clinically trained in things. They're not emotionally involved with you. Okay, so that's not the way it is with mending the soul. Me and Kelly, we're down in the pit with you. We're um, we're crying with you. We're grieving with you. We're rejoicing with you. We come alongside of you and we take that journey with you so you're not alone. And why we do this, um, you know, listen to Dr. Tracy's episode again, if you haven't again. He explains very clearly why, um, why we use lay people, why we use survivors for these groups. Counselor has their, has their role and then these groups with the survivors have our role. We fill in the blanks. Um, fill in those holes. So let me read the kind of the table of contents of what what's in our workbook here. And it's really super awesome. So we talk about the, the three foundational beliefs of, of uh, abuse. Chapter two, what is abuse? Where does it come from? You know, that's a huge question. Profile of abusers. What does an abuser look like? It's not what you think. Um, Sandy Kirkham. Her abuser does not look like, like she said, the dirty old man hiding in the bushes. A portrait of an abusive family. Most of us are from abusive families. Um, I did not come from an abusive family. My family was not perfect, but um, I do not look back and label my family as abusive. Um, so we're going to learn the traits of that. Now, Kelly's story, definitely. Kelly was sex trafficked by her own family, so... Um, I'm trying to get her on the show. <laughs> I've asked her to come on the show, but um, I have to give her that choice because she's not sure she wants to do that and share her story outside of the group. I understand that her, her story is pretty dark, and um, but she said she'd think about it. So I'll keep you posted on that. Um, chapter five is shame. That is a huge, huge, very important subject. We all carried a lot of shame with us some unnecessary shame. Chapter six is powerless and deadness. And an example of powerlessness and 
would be Sandy's story. When she was being um, sexually assaulted by her youth pastor, she was paralyzed. She just laid there. She did not, she could not move. She was so shocked by what was going on. She could not mentally deal with it, you know, and, and victims are usually ostracized by, um, well, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you run away? Why didn't you, you don't understand when you have been groomed by somebody and you trust that person and then all of a sudden they violate you, you are you're paralyzed. You literally physically can't, sometimes you can't, you can't resist. You can't do anything. You just lay there in shock. And then you've got the aftermath of, well, what just happened? I don't understand what just happened. Deadness is, um, we're going to go through that a lot in this chapter. Deadness is described as you don't have any feelings. You can't, the trauma is so horrible that you don't feel anything. You're just walking around like a zombie. I know that a lot of you can relate to that. Chapter seven is isolation. Abuse is committed in isolation. Your abuser shuts you off from the rest of the world, from people that would raise red flags, people that would notice that you're being abused and would be able to help you. Sometimes we isolate ourselves because we're, um, we're afraid, we're ashamed. We think it's our fault. So we're going to talk about those things. Chapter 8, Facing the Brokenness. The reason why we do these things, the reason why we we try to deal with the pain by medicating ourselves with drugs. We try and deal with the pain by working too much, by yeah, doing drugs, um, having illicit sex, by cutting ourselves, by, by doing all these things to deal with the pain and our brokenness instead of fixing the pain or ignoring the pain. So that's chapter eight. Chapter nine is surrendering to God's love. We talk a lot about God in this group. This is a faith-based group. It's not that, it's not, not that you have to be, you know, super Christian. It is, you have to be willing to talk about these spiritual things. You have to talk about your relationship or lack of relationship with God and the spiritual things. Because abuse changes your perception of God in a very horrible way. And so we talk about how does God really see you? What does the Bible really say about abuse? Has God abandoned you? Has God enabled this ab abuse? Uh, why isn't he doing anything? We talk about God's love for you. A lot of survivors don't think they deserve any love. They think it's their fault. They think that God is not going to love them because Let's face it, we've, um, we've done some terrible stuff after we've experienced this abuse. We act out in unhealthy ways when we hurt other people. Like um, Rosalie's interview, you've heard, she did some not so great things. She cheated on her boyfriend and she was drinking and she was um, sleeping around. And that was a result of the abuse she went through, her self-image. And you can listen to the to that podcast and hear her story. So we have to deal with the aftermath of our abuse too. Just because just because we've been abused does not give us a license to go and treat others poorly. It doesn't. That's wrong. And so we have to own that. Okay. I mostly see it now. Being married to my husband Brian, he um 
He's very positive and he's very happy, go lucky. Well, you've met him. He was on episode one. Um, easygoing guy. And there are things that I, I do because of my past. He'll say something like something that my ex-husband would have said. And that would trigger me. <laughs> and um, the old me would have just blown up in his face. How could you say that? And he's totally innocent. He has no clue what my ex has told me or what my, um, he knows some of it. He doesn't know all of it, but you know, the old me would just flip out and yell at him for saying something. And I can't think of a, an example right this second with my Swiss cheese brain. Um, but since going through many Soul, I've gotten the tools for, okay, okay. He said that he doesn't mean it in context. So I need to calm down and, and breathe and look at this situation as it is. He flippantly said something. And instead of flipping out myself and screaming or having a bad attitude, I need to say, you know, honey, can you not say that, please? That is something that my abuser used to say to me. Or can you not do that, please? That is something my abuser used to do to me. And it might be a totally innocent thing. But for me, it triggers me, makes me feel really unpleasant. And um, I'm still learning. There's some days that I'm not perfect at all. <laughs> and yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm telling you right now, I'm not perfect. We don't have a perfect marriage, but that's part of, it's part of the healing process. We're learning from each other, giving each other a little grace. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. The last chapter is a doozy. The last chapter is on forgiveness. And we've had podcasts about forgiveness. We've had, um, let's see, Pastor Mark. Go back and listen to Pastor Mark's story. We talked a lot about forgiveness. His, his theme is forgiving the nightmare. And yeah, we've been through a lot of nightmares, haven't we? And forgiveness is hard. And the hard part is we don't know the correct definition of forgiveness or we have the church gives us the wrong idea of what, of what forgiveness is. And they put forgiveness at the end for a reason. Um, you all hear from probably people in your family or people in your church like, oh, you know, you just forgive him and forgive and forget. And well, not really. That's not really the truth. You gotta for forgive 70 times 7. Okay, well, we need to come up with the correct definition of what forgiveness is. And we, we do two, two sessions on forgiveness alone because it's such a hard chapter. Forgiveness comes at the end of your healing. You're not going to forgive somebody right away. That's just the reality. You have to go through this process of, one, recognizing what, what your abuse was. I didn't really realize that I was being abused. I didn't have a label for the horrible things that were happening to me in my own house. I didn't have a label for what the church was doing to me church that should have been supporting me. Uh, so forgiveness doesn't mean that your abuser doesn't get justice. That doesn't mean you don't call the police. It doesn't mean that you let him continue to, and I say him, I'm sorry, it's him or her. Yes, um, there are lots of guy listeners on this show and their abusers were women. They were, um, or men being abused by men. So forgiveness is not letting your abuser keep abusing you. Um, you have to create boundaries. 
We talk a lot about boundaries in the group. We're going to talk a lot about boundaries in the podcast. We're going to have guests on the podcast talk about boundaries. Forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. Um, You're not going to forget it unless you have memory loss like me, which (laughs) I haven't forgotten about my abuse. Now, when we go through some of these chapters, there are some events that I forgot about. But as far as the abuse itself in general, no. Part of forgiveness is not letting it nest in your head. The abuse that you went through, he doesn't get free written in my head anymore. I can look back on my abuse and see it for what it is. I can take it apart and analyze it. Um, I'm not laying awake at night seeking revenge. Some of you are still in contact with your abusers because you have kids or they're your mother or your father or your sister or your brother and you still see them and it's just pain poking at them ripping off them scabs and poking at that pain and that's forgiveness we're going to go through different kinds of forgiveness um and you'll be very surprised um so other things that are in this workbook that you get to go through there are poems and these are from survivors by the way there are poems there are art artwork original artwork there are um, stories from survivors some of them are from africa very similar in fact um i think it was mama abia that dr tracy was talking about her story is in this book in the workbook there's a timeline there is um exercises we do coloring we draw pictures we do collages we do um there's checklists in here. There's journaling. Journaling's a big part. Here's a big space where you're going to write your deepest, darkest thoughts. And yeah, we share the stuff that we go through in the workbook. You're assigned a chapter each week and you do your homework. You read your chapter of your textbook right over here. And then we come together and we talk about it. And the journaling is for you. If you don't want to share some things in the group, that's okay. The important part is, as you process these things, you process your thoughts, you process your abuse, you process what has happened to you. You recognize it for what it is. Once you write it down, sometimes that makes it clearer. Um, Sometimes when you hear the exact same thing that you went through coming out of somebody else's lips, then you think, oh, oh yeah, that's what I just went through. And it's clearer hearing it from somebody else. So journaling is a very important part. So yeah, there's 10 chapters. And in the back, they have other um, resources. So when you're done your group, it doesn't mean that you are cured or healed 100%. Again, it's um, it's a journey. I am much farther along in my healing journey than maybe you are. And some people go through this, mending the soul more than once with a different group, with a different facilitator. That sometimes can be really helpful. Or you might want to go through a group with one abuser. And if you have a second abuser, you may go through another group, process a second abuser. It's very flexible in that way. And what this group does, again, is it gives you tools. Establishing boundaries, um, trusting, again. We did a whole episode on trust. In fact, we did two episodes on trust back Christmas time. Go back to that, listen to that episode if you, again, you may be in a different stage of your healing journey, maybe down the road, maybe you'll be like Janelle, a guest on our podcast coming up. She's a 
She has a master's in psychology, and she was a trauma counselor, and she helped a lot of people. You'll hear her story and uh, what she's doing with her. So you will be much farther along on your journey after going through a group like Manning the Soul or another group similar to ours. I think Dr. Tracy mentioned a few. Hopefully I didn't bore you to death. Hopefully this has been helpful. This is the kind of um, stuff that you look for if you're going to go into a group. These are the things that need to be in place when you're talking to somebody about joining their group. These traits are what you need to look for. If you don't have these kind of traits, you probably should keep looking. Yes, I totally am super passionate about Mending the Soul, and I wholeheartedly endorse it. There are other programs out there. Just be really smart what you choose to invest your time in. If you need, some people just decide um, a small group isn't for me. Uh, that kind of dynamic doesn't work. So maybe you do better with one-on-one. -on -one. You don't really do well with people. Yeah, there are facilitators that will do a Mending the Soul curriculum with you by themselves. If that fits you, that's totally okay. Um, I don't do Mending the Soul one-on-one. -on -one. I do mentoring one-on-one. -on -one. I'll do a show on choosing a mentor. What is a mentor? What's my mentoring program like? Um, that's a different thing. I would do a different show on that because it's pretty involved, just like telling you what a Mending the Soul group is like. One thing I do want to say is make a choice. Make a choice to do something today. So I'm going to end today, of course, with my tagline. You're no longer a victim when you choose to take action. So we will see you next week back here. Be safe and God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.